In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, one God, Amen. So, God willing, today we're going to be studying um, a new book. We finished last week the book of Joshua, um, and now we're going to transition to something in the New Testament, um, the epistle um, of St. Paul to um, the Ephesians, the Church of Ephesus. So, a little bit of background about Ephesus. So, Ephesus was the capital of the Roman colony, which is west of Asia Minor. So, you see here on this map where Ephesus is there um, near the coast. And this whole area is modern-day Turkey. So Ephesus is about three miles from the sea, and it was a very commercial city. It's where all of these different commercial um, roads met, so it was like a hub of commerce. Um, and it was the main road between Rome and the east. So it was a very important city, um, and it had an industrial port there, um, which gave it a lot of importance um, at the time. So it was a very important metropolis at the time. Um, also, it was known for... Um, it was, of course, this was a Gentile region, and um, it was known for this great temple dedicated to the god Artemis, which was a, a Greek goddess, and we actually um, hear about her in the book of Acts. Um, and to the Greeks, she's considered um, the goddess of the moon. So uh, there is the, the Greek mythology, and there is the Roman mythology, right? And they have a lot of like overlapping mythology, but the names of the gods in um, one mythology like greek mythology had like a uh, corresponding one in the roman mythology right so for instance in greek mythology we're familiar with zeus as being kind of like the the head of the gods in the roman mythology does anyone know who the head of the gods is his name is uh, jupiter okay um so so the, the there's kind of like this corresponding mythology so um uh, the Greeks believed that the statue of Artemis um, descended from heaven, um, and so they believe it has a supernatural or, um, origin. Um, there was a group of people called the Ionians who are of Greek origin, and they occupied the city of Ephesus um, since 11 BC, and it became one of the 12 cities in their union and became the capital of this region that is called Ionia. So, of course, this is um, around the time frame that we're talking about here in the early centuries um, AD. Um, as far as establishing the church uh, in Ephesus, so there were many Jews that had Roman citizenship, Roman citizenship in Ephesus. Um, and if we read in the, in the book of Acts, at the end of St. Paul's second missionary journey on his way to Jerusalem, he visited Ephesus and he went and he preached there in a synagogue. There's a lot of different events that happen in the city of Ephesus that we can read about in the book of Acts. Um, St. Paul returned on his third missionary journey, um, preaching in the synagogue of the Jews for three months. They're also in Ephesus. Um, and the, the, the preaching of St. Paul in Ephesus had a lot of different effects, and we can, we can read just a, some of them briefly in, from, in the book of Acts. So we know from the book of Acts that many of the Jews and the Gentiles um, in Ephesus accepted the faith in the Lord Christ through the preaching of St. Paul. We know that the word of God reached all over Asia through its capital, which is Ephesus. Um, some of the Jewish uh, exorcists, and, 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 and preachers, they converted uh, to Christianity. Um, the worship of Artemis was abolished uh, also at the time of St. Paul, which made the craftsmen upset, and they began a riot that we can read about, like this big uproar um, 
riot that they had in Acts chapter 19. Um, and then there was the establishment of the church of Ephesus, which had many priests. And actually, it's mentioned that St. Paul, during his travels, he held a council where he called all of these priests and they met together um, in a council. Um, also, when St. Paul left Ephesus, um, his disciple Timothy was sent there to serve after his departure. And another man who by the name of Tychicus was sent to Ephesus um, carrying this epistle from St. Paul um, to, to them. So St. Paul uh, uh, wrote this uh, uh, epistle um, from prison while he was imprisoned in Rome. He sent the, uh, the epistle um, with a man whose name was Tychicus to the Ephesians so they could read it. Of course, there was no way for them to, to receive anything other than for it to be hand-delivered. Um, so, of course, we know that St. Paul um, is the author uh, of, of the epistle. And even though St. Paul does not indicate, like in the epistle, um, when it was specifically written, but he made it clear that, that he was in prison at the time of its writing. Okay, so there are several clues to that. In, in Ephesians 3.1, he says, I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus for you Gentiles. Also in chapter 3, he says, I ask that you do not lose heart at my tribulation for you, which is your glory. And in Ephesians 4, he calls himself the prisoner of the Lord. And Ephesians 6, he says, for which I am an ambassador in chains. Right. So we know that the, the epistle was written around the year 63 AD. And this was during the time when he was on house arrest in Rome for two years. We read about this actually in Acts chapter 28, when St. Paul had um, appealed after he was captured by the Romans, he appealed to Caesar and they sent him to Rome. He lived in Rome for a period of two years in this rented house. So he was in house arrest, but he had limited freedom in the sense that he could receive guests to visit him and so on. And so during these two years imprisoned in Rome, uh, St. Paul wrote four epistles, and we call these the prison epistles. Okay? And does anyone know what the, the, the four epistles are? The four prison epistles? Sorry? Not not Timothy. There's a there's an easy way to remember. Okay? Three of them are the ones that have PH in the name. Philemon, right? Ephesians and Philippians. Those have PH in the name. And then the extra one without the PH is Colossians. So just remember the PHs and Colossians. Those are the, the prison epistles. And so he writes them um, while he is in prison um, in Rome. What is the main subject uh, of the epistle that he is writing to the church in Ephesus? So the main subject is speaking about the church and the, the Christ relationship with the church. That Christ is the head and the church is the body, right? The church is the body of Christ in relationship to the head, and it is also the bride to the bridegroom, which is Christ. Um, and the purpose of the epistle is to declare God's plan to create a messianic people, meaning they are his children, they are his body, and, 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 and unity and holiness, the congregation is united with the head who is the Lord Jesus Christ. The first three chapters um, of the epistle, uh, St. Paul confirms the salvation is both for Jews and Gentiles. This is a subject that we have read several times and um, also in, in, in other books of St. Paul where there's a big emphasis on explaining that 
the both the, it is not only that salvation is for the Jews, but salvation is also for the Gentiles. And, and then the last three chapters, it's only six chapters. Um, he emphasizes that the that unity of faith, holiness, social behavior, um, and the spiritual weapons for the believer are practiced through the church and within it. So he gives some kind of practical guidance for life. And we also in, in in Ephesians chapter six, there is the famous passage about the armor of God, which we will get into, God willing, when we get. Um, to that chapter. So it's like practical, spiritual, uh, social, moral. Um, how is it that the, the Christian should, should behave? How, sh how should we practice and live as a result of being the body of Christ with Christ being the head? Okay. So we'll start with the first chapter. So he starts saying, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God to the saints who are in Ephesus and faithful in Christ Jesus. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So he starts out in this very familiar way that we see how St. Paul starts almost all of his epistles, and actually every single one of the Pauline epistles except for the book of Hebrews starts with the word Paul because he is introducing himself as an apostle of the Lord Jesus Christ so that his words would be confirmed as being coming from God and not coming from himself. We had spoken um, at other times about how people were attacking the apostleship of St. Paul because St. Paul was not among the original apostles that were around at the time when the Lord Jesus Christ was still alive on earth, but he was called to be an apostle afterward. So there were a lot of people who were rejecting kind of his authority or rejecting his teaching um, because, because of this fact. So he is confirming that he is indeed an apostle of the Lord Jesus Christ and that this is by the will of God right it is not through the selection of men it is not through through the selection of just like people's opinion it is god is the one who chose and actually of course when we read the story and we know the story of the conversion of saul to paul um, in the book of acts we see how he was chosen directly by god and and how he um, came to be converted and baptized and that the lord christ himself spoke with him and taught him and so on also here in this uh, introduction to the book, he is saying he was writing to the saints who are in Ephesus uh, and faithful in Christ Jesus. Right, this um, uh, calling the the church members, calling the congregation saints, was something that um, was very common to Saint Paul in the way that he addressed the people, and you can see that he has a respect for them, and he's reminding them who is it that they are. Oftentimes, these epistles focused on maybe certain problems or, or uh, things that needed to be corrected, and there was often times where St. Paul rebuked the people for various things, but he was always referring to them as saints, seeing them as being holy and righteous because of the Holy Spirit that is in them. And this is something for us to always remember, that we are saints. You know, we, we refer to you know, the saints that are drawn in icons, as being, you know, the saints that we look up to, right? And that we remember and we ask their intercession and so on. But we are all called to be saints. And we all are saints in the sense that we have received the Holy Spirit and that we are called to a life of holiness just as all of the other saints that we know by name. So he is reminding us of the life that we should be living, a life that is above and higher than the rest of the world, not that we would blend in and become like everyone else, but that we would live this saintly and godly and holy life that, that would be a reflection of the work of the Holy Spirit in us. It is, it is not that we would be 
kind of intermingled and, and kind of dissolve or disappear into the world. But of course, we know the Lord said about the believers that we should be the light of the world and the salt of the earth, right? And when you think of the example, those examples like light is very clear, right? Like if you have a room that's dark, right? You can't see anything in it. But when the moment you light a light, even if it's a very, very small light, you know, like even if you have a match that's just very, very dim, but you can see it very clearly because it is surrounded by darkness. And this is what God and St. Paul is telling us. He's saying we are to be this light. We are to be the saints of the world. We are to be the salt, right? They, to give flavor and seasoning to an otherwise bland world that is kind of has no flavor, right? So so we are the flavor. We are the, the light. We are the holiness. We are the saints that Christ is calling us to live as such um, in the world. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing and the heavenly places in Christ. Okay, This verse here, um, some believe that it is part of a church praise that would, was said in the very early church in song, like chanted. Right? Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in, in the heavenly places in Christ. And some scholars say that it was part of an early baptismal rite, uh, the prayers of baptism that were done in the very early church. Some people say that this was actually part of that. So what is it referring to? Well, it's referring to the blessings and to the effect of baptism, like the adoption to the Father by Jesus Christ. So it is like we are gaining through baptism, right? He who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, right? This is what we are inheriting. This is what we are gaining through the, the, the baptismal right that we, are, that we are receiving from God, this blessing. And the epistle speaks in, in great detail um, in a lot of places about what is it that we enjoy through this gift, through this blessing that we receive. Um, uh, we receive the forgiveness of sins. We receive enjoying the inheritance and being co-heirs with Christ. We receive the seal of the Holy Spirit. All these things that we receive as being the very first um, act of Christianity, the initiation into uh, the Christian church that we receive um, in baptism. And it says all these things are done in Christ. This term in Christ or in him we see repeated often in this epistle because again the focus is that we are the body in relation to, to Christ who is the head. So everything that we do is in Christ. Everything we do is with him and in him. Um, so, so he's emphasizing here the unity of the church and the one body. And he says, um, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. It is through Christ that we gain access to all of these blessings, right? Think about like the way that um, the, the people were prior to the incarnation, prior to the resurrection, right? And we spoke at great length about this previously. Um, for instance, when we spoke about in the book of Galatians and how the people were estranged from God the Father and no amount of following the law could bring the people to righteousness, it could bring the forgiveness of sins, could bring reconciliation with God, but it is only through the work of the Lord Jesus Christ that we receive every blessing. So in Christ, we receive these spiritual blessings. Just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love. Okay? So, so when it says, just as he chose us in him 
before the foundation of the world, what does that mean? What does it mean that he chose us in him before the foundation of the world? Yes. I think it means that before he built the world or before he created the world, um, he under he knew that we would be in the world. And so I forgot the question. I forgot the wording of it. The So I'm asking, what, what does it mean when it says he chose us in him before the foundation of the world? Oh, he chose us to be in one body with him before he chose to create the world. So he knew that when he created the world that we would be established in the world so that we would be living with him in the world does that make sense or am i yes yes no that's right so so what it doesn't mean which so so we've discussed the idea of predestination um uh previously right and there is a view of predestination um which we call the calvinist view because john calvin is the one who kind of he 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 spearheaded this interpretation understanding of what predestination means he understood predestination to mean that God essentially chose certain people for salvation, right? And so out of all of the people that exist and all the people that were created, a subset of those were chosen by God for salvation and the rest were not chosen, which means that they were chosen for condemnation, okay? So of course this view um, removes the concept of free will from us because if God already chose from the beginning certain people that would be saved and others who would not be saved, then really our free will is irrelevant. There's nothing for me to, to do. There's no decisions that I can make. And no matter what I do, the decision has already been decided and it's just been decided by God and we are just kind of living to see what plays out and what will happen, okay? Whereas the church's understanding of predestination, right, is not that God is making that choice himself, but he, is, he has foreknowledge. He knows what it is that we will choose. So here it says he chose us in him before the foundation of the world. Meaning, yes, God chose all people for, for salvation. He wanted all people. God did not create anyone for destruction, right? God did not create someone for condemnation. He created every single person for life, to have eternal life, to be immortal, to live with him, in, in eternity in heaven this was the will of god this was the will of god he didn't create anyone so that they would be apart from him but he also gave us the free will right so when he says he chose us in him before the foundation of the world right he's choosing us for what he's choosing us for salvation but just because god chooses us it doesn't mean that we choose him right god can choose us but we don't choose him we choose to live a life apart or separate from him in, in Romans chapter 8, it says, For whom he foreknew, he also predestined. Right? So he's linking St. Paul to the Romans. He's linking foreknowledge with predestination. Right? It is not that predestination means that God is arbitrarily choosing certain people and that here we are, we have no choice now. Right? He's saying his, the predestination is a result of the foreknowledge of God. I might have used this example before, but I'll say it again just to kind of give us an understanding of what is what is the foreknowledge of God. If you watch a movie, 
right? And you uh, for the first time, and you see everything that happens with the characters and all of the plot lines that happen and the dialogue that happens and the outcome of the movie. You now know everything that happens to those characters. Then you go watch the movie a second time. You now have foreknowledge, right? But you have no more control over the actions of the characters than you did the first time, right? You have no more control. You're not dictating the actions of those people. You are just observing the actions of those people. And now you happen to know what they will choose because you've already watched the movie, right? God is the same. He, he, he already knows the decisions that we will make, but he is not influencing those decisions. It's not like he is overriding our will. So he has foreknowledge of what every person will choose. He knows how the movie will end. Right? He knows what everyone will decide and what everyone will do. And he can take actions based on that knowledge. But he is not making it to be so. Everyone is choosing for themselves. St. John Chrysostom, he also expounds on this. And he says, what does, by, uh, what does he mean by he chose us in him? He means that this was fulfilled by faith in him, that is in Christ. He joyfully planned this for us before we are born, moreover, before the foundation of the world. He planned what for us? He planned salvation for us. He planned eternal life for us. He planned every good thing for all of us. And it was planned and created and, and given to us, but then it is up to us to decide whether we want it or whether we don't want it. Okay? Um, he also says what? Virtue alone can never save oneself without love. Tell me what would St. Paul have benefited if he appeared the way he appeared to be, if it were not for God who called him and drew him to himself, right? He's saying God is the one who chooses, meaning God is the one who, who draws us to himself. God is the one who attracts us to himself. God is the one who makes this calling to us to come to him. But then each, each one is free to choose whether they want God or not. In the book of Revelation, uh, there is this, 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 this beautiful symbol of Christ who is standing at the door and he is knocking on our door and he's saying, you know, open for me that I might come and dine with you, right? Like this is Christ knocking at the door, our door, telling us, come so that open the door for me so that I will dine with you. This is him choosing us. Like he chose to knock. He chose to call. He chose to seek us. Okay, He chose in the incarnation to come for our salvation. This is him choosing all of humanity. We are chosen. Okay, But obviously, it is up to us to open the door. It's up to us to take an action, to receive from God his gift that he wants us to have. Having predestined us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace by which he made us accepted in the beloved. Okay, so God has appointed his church so that we may obtain the grace of adoption through baptism. This is what it means when he says he has predestined us to the adoption as sons, right? All of the children of God in the New Testament, okay, all of us who are members of the church and believers, we have become adopted as sons. Adopted as sons how? through baptism in baptism we become the children of god okay so the, the 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 desire of the father is fulfilled because remember he chose us and we who are receiving god 
and allowing ourselves to be baptized because we want to be in him, because we want to be the children of God. Um, and, and so we are becoming new members added to the church, children of God. Um, and he is receiving us by giving us this grace. Okay, He's giving us this grace that we are then accepting. We are not rejecting it. Um, St. Augustine, he says this, The Father has begotten children who are heirs with his begotten Son, but they are not begotten like him from his essence, but he adopted them to become his household. We are the children of the one who raised us by his will. However, we are not born of his nature, but by adoption through his grace. He's making the distinction between the natural sons and the adopted sons, right? Who is the natural son? The son of God. The son of God is the natural son. He is God. He's existed from eternity as just as God the Father. He is the natural son. We call him the son of God. So where is our place? Our place is that we are not natural sons in the sense that we do not have the essence of the son of God. We are not born of his nature by essence but we are adopted by him. We are adopted to become his children, just like someone can adopt uh, a child. And then once the child is adopted, they receive all of the same benefits of sonship that the natural children receive. Once we have become the children of God truly, then we receive inheritance, just like the Son of God receives inheritance from the Father. We also become co-heirs with Christ and receive the same inheritance, the same glory that God the Father glorifies Christ, we also receive. So we are not, in, the, in essence, the children, but we have become children through um, adoption. We are accepted by the Father in Christ, becoming co-heirs with him. In him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, according to the riches of his grace, which he made to abound toward us in all wisdom and prudence. Right? So he's saying what? In him, remember, see, this, this, this concept of in him, in the beloved, in Christ, all this is in him. It is in Christ that we have received all these things. This is saying none of these gifts we had received prior to the incarnation. It is through the incarnation that we are receiving these things, that we are allowed to participate in these things. So we're saying in Christ, we have redemption through his blood, meaning we have forgiveness of sins. We, we, are, we are accepted as adopted sons and daughters of God. Um, we have freedom from sin. Um, who lives inside each of us. We receive his, the riches of his grace that, that he has made to abound um, in all of us, right? So, so in Christ, we are receiving all these things. So we have, we have become sanctified. We have become forgiven. Remember the focus here, and in so many of the writings of St. Paul, is speaking about the necessity of the grace of Christ as compared to following the law. Because the Jews went through this period where they still clung to the concept that they understood from the Old Testament. And the concept from the Old Testament is, if you want to be the children of God and you want to have salvation, you must follow the law to perfection, and you must be circumcised, and you must do all these things. Here he's emphasizing that, no, it is through Christ and his sacrifice and what he did that we have salvation, not through the following of some kind of law. Having made known to us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in himself, that in the dispensation of the fullness of the times he might gather together in one all things in Christ, 
let me see, in Christ again, both which are in heaven and which are on earth in him. So what is he saying? He has made known to us the mystery of his will. Meaning what? That it was always his will, the, the, the spiritual salvation, the spiritual reconciliation, the, the, the incarnation, all these things that God is doing and has done, it was always his will from the beginning. But it was a mystery, right? It was a mystery because it was not fully understood. We didn't fully understand what is it that God was doing. We didn't fully understand what the prophets were saying. The prophets themselves didn't fully understand what it is that they were saying and what was the implication of everything that they were saying. We didn't understand. We the, the people were looking forward to this Messiah and they misunderstood what he was to be. They thought he was going to be an earthly ruler, right? And so 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 it was a mystery, right? But now in Christ in the coming of Christ, it has been revealed, right? This mystery that was according to his good pleasure which he purposed in himself has been revealed when at the fullness of time, meaning when God saw that the time was right. Right, the time when the Lord Jesus Christ came to the earth, this was the fullness of time, so that he could do what? He could gather together in one all things in Christ, which are, which are in heaven and which are on earth in him. Meaning all things, that this is the body, right? That we are the one body of Christ, with Christ as the head, united together as one. This is what Christ came to fulfill and to accomplish in the right time so this mystery has now been fulfilled he goes on again and he says in him also we have obtained an inheritance being predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will that we who first trusted in christ should be to the praise of his glory in him you also trusted after you heard the word of truth the gospel of your salvation and whom also having believed you were sealed with the holy spirit of promise who is the guarantee of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession to the praise of his glory okay so notice here how he starts saying he says in him you also trusted after you heard the word of truth the gospel of your salvation in whom also having believed you were sealed with the holy spirit okay so so he's mentioning here um here where he says we have obtained an inheritance right so he started out by saying we in him also we have obtained an inheritance being predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will that we who first trusted in christ so who is it that first trusted in christ should be praised should should be to the praise of his glory who's referring to here when he says we hmm? not the apostles because he's writing here to the ephesians so so it's a bigger group than the apostles the jews right he's saying we have obtained like we are the first ones right we have obtained okay we who first trusted and then now he's saying you also because he's writing to the Gentiles. You also, after you heard of the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, having believed, were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. So, so the, the, uh, the, the, when he says we, he means the Jews. When he says you, he means the Gentiles, specifically here the Ephesians, whom he's talking to. So he emphasized that the Jews were the first to accept salvation through Christ, 
but both the Jews and the Gentiles together were, 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 were predestined by God to be in the one body, that, to be united <coughs> together, okay? And this was a big deal because in the Old Testament, God told the Jews not to even interact with the Gentiles, right? And now he's saying not only do the Gentiles have salvation, but that you and the Gentiles, the Jews and the Gentiles are one people, right? Equal children of God. There is no uh, kind of rank here. It's not like because the Jews were chosen first from the beginning and that the Jews have, the Jews have this long heritage, then that somehow they have a higher rank and status than God, than, than the, the Gentiles, sorry. Um, but they are all together one. He also mentions this seal of the Holy Spirit. This, a seal was like a sign of ownership. When somebody wanted to, um, you know, when, when somebody w wanted to show that they own something, they would put a seal on it, and the seal would have its kind of that person's unique signature mark on it that was unique and different from everyone else's. So you wanted to see who is it that owns this thing. Well, you look at the seal, and then the person who has like the signet ring or the, the marker, it's like has this, the, the seal on it so that it can prove that the seal on the thing is the same as the seal of the person, the, the seal that the person has. So the seal here is what he's referring to as baptism and chrismation. This is the seal of the Holy Spirit. St. Ephraim the Syrian, he refers to this. He says, the owner prints a special sign on the thing he owns to show that they belong to him. In the same manner, in baptism, the Holy Spirit puts a seal of the holy oil, Myrun, on those who are baptized to show that they belong to God. So when we go through the baptismal rite and the chrismation rite, what we are doing is receiving the seal of ownership of God. It's like God is saying, these are mine. These are my children. I have adopted them as sons. Their, their destiny is eternal life and salvation in Christ, right? So this is the, the, the seal, right? When he says, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is the guarantee of our inheritance, right? Like if you question, does this person have inheritance? Is this person adopted as a son or daughter? Well, we say, do they have the seal? Yes, they have the seal. That means that they have been accepted. Therefore, I also, after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints, do not cease to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of him. Okay, so he's expressing his thanks. I do not cease to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers. St. Paul was always praying for and on behalf of all the people. Remember, he here is in prison, right, when he is writing this. So he is always mindful of his ministry, of his service, of the churches. That's why he's writing these letters even when he is prison. He's not like, you know, expressing self-pity or, you know, con just concerned with his own life, but he continues to do his service and his ministry even while he is in, 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 in you know, doesn't have the freedom to leave, okay? So he's mentioning them in the, his prayers. He is, he is thankful for them. Um, that, that And he asks what? That the Father of glory may give to you the spirit of wisdom and revelation, and the knowledge of him, again, of him, the spirit of wisdom and revelation. Certainly, for the church to endure persecution, for the people to resist temptation, 
for the church to thrive and to continue from generation to generation, the church has to have the spirit of wisdom and revelation, the spirit of understanding, the spirit of applying the word of God in a wise way and to protect ourselves from sin and temptation. The eyes of your understanding being enlightened. You know, how is the eyes of the understanding enlightened? Well, it is through the seal, through the receiving of the Holy Spirit, that when we receive the seal, it is not just an outward sign of that we are belonging to God, but we, we take on the characteristics of God. We, 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 we start to become sanctified to be like God in, in our characteristics, right? In the sense that the wisdom of God gets imparted to us, right? The virtues of God begin to be imparted to us. We begin to reflect the nature of the God who we, whom we belong to the one who owns the seal, the one who has given us the seal. So our eyes begin to be open. We are no longer blinded to the truth, to the mystery of revelation. And our, the eyes of your understanding are now enlightened, that you may know what is the hope of his calling. What are the riches of his glory, of his inheritance in the saints? Saying, like, now that you have received the seal, now that you are children of God, you can, your hope is now in him. Your hope is in the calling that he has called us for, that he is calling us to a higher calling, a greater life, not just having hopes that are the worldly, temporary hopes that we have in the world about what we wish to achieve in this life, but the hopes that we now have are like a supernatural hope, a divine hope, something that is beyond this world, the riches of his glory, of his inheritance in the saints. And what is the exceeding greatness of his power toward us who believe? according to the working of his mighty power, right? So we are no longer acting as though we are in poverty, in this like spiritual poverty. We now have this spiritual power, right? And what is the exceeding greatness of his power? His power is now in us. Maybe according to the world, we are poor. Maybe according to the world, we are weak. Maybe according to the world, we are nobody, right? But according to God, the power that we have and the wisdom that we have for achieving and 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 reaching the ultimate hope and and seeing the ultimate hope realized which is the hope of eternal life in Christ and and living with him eternally which he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places so he's saying you want to see an example of what i'm talking about you want to understand and see an example of the kind of life that you should look forward to and hope what is going to happen to you in the future it is the resurrection look at the resurrection of Christ and what God did with his son right he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand you want proof that this sign um, and this seal that you have on you now is going to achieve something you want proof that this seal is means now that your trajectory of, of your life is completely different than what it was before? Look at what happened with Christ. The same is what will happen to you. Just as he was resurrected, so also you will be resurrected. Seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places where you also will go. Far above all principality and power and might and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in that which is to come. Like that is the place that Christ went. He went in this place far above all other power, 
right? Far greater than any power, far greater than any human authority. This is, again, what we will have because we are uh, the adopted sons and daughters of God receiving the same inheritance as Christ and God the Father will lift us there as well. And he put all things under his feet and gave him to be head over all things to the church, which is his body and the fullness of him who fills all in all. So again, we see God's power manifested. Christ is seated at the right hand and has dominion over all creation. And when we are in him, we also have dominion. In Christ means that we receive the same inheritance of Christ. We also sit with God the Father. We are also in the presence of God the Father. We also have reconciliation with God the Father. All those things in Christ that we benefit from because of what Christ did. And you he made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins, in which he once walked according to the course of this world. Right? So you say prior to becoming children of God, prior to, prior to receiving the seal, what was, you know, how was your life characterized? You were dead in sin. You lived a sinful life in darkness, away from God, unrighteous, unholy, wicked life. Okay? Um, and being dead, this is how you lived. Okay, according to the prince of the power of the air. The prince of the power of the air is the devil, right? He is, he is the prince of the power of the air because God has given him for a time dominion over the world, okay? So he's like the, the prince of the world, given him dominion, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience. So it is through the temptation and through the influence of Satan that we find that there is evil in the world. He is the source of all evil. He deceives people, he confuses people, he influences people, he turns people against one another. He is the source of evil, and his evil is expressed and reflected through the works of these sons of disobedience, right? People who live wickedly in, on the earth. Among whom also we all once conducted ourselves in the lust of our flesh, saying we were also the sons of disobedience. We also were wicked and unholy, unrighteous. We were among them, right? We lived according to the philosophies of the world. We had no understanding of the mysteries of God. We had no understanding of his revelation, of his salvation, of his desire, of the hope, of his calling. None of that we understood, right? And yet God took us from that state of death and he made us to be alive again. Again, this is the, what happens in baptism. This is the, the resurrection from the dead, the dying and resurrecting of Christ. This is the new creation that happens to us in baptism. Um, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind and were by nature children of wrath, just as the others. This is what the state that we were in prior to the calling, prior to receiving from God this free gift. But God, who is rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ, by grace you have been saved. Right. So seeing us in that state of, 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 of disobedience and rebellion and darkness, God in his mercy had compassion on us and raised us from this state of death. He came and he offered a new, a new path, a path that prior to this we had no choice but to continue living in darkness, he now offered us a choice. And he's saying, by grace you have been saved, because it is, it is a free gift of God. He did not come at a time when we had proved worthy, 
for us to be offered this new path. He came at a time when we were living in sin and darkness and he offered it to us. He says, you can choose to live a certain way. You can choose to receive from me power. You can choose to receive from me illumination, enlightenment, and live in a different way than you have been living. And raised us up together and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come, he might show the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. So he's offering us this divine life, like, like this existence that we have never experienced before and that we have done nothing to deserve. You know, He's saying even though you were created as, as flesh, even though you were created from dust, but I am allowing you to live eternally in the heavenly places with me. I'm allowing you to come to the throne. I'm allowing you to come and to live like this life of royalty, even though you are not royal, even though you live as like poor and 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 have no connection with royalty or holiness. But I am I'm allowing you to come into the, my palace and to live eternally, not just as servants, not just as guests, but as sons, so that this becomes truly your place and your home that you are living in. He might show the exceeding riches of his grace because of his kindness toward us all in Christ Jesus. It goes, everything goes back to Christ Jesus. As long as you are in the body of Christ, you have all the benefits of Christ. If you are in the body of Christ, you have all the rewards of Christ. You have the authority, you have the inheritance, you have the resurrection, everything that Christ has, you have because you are connected to him, right? He is the head, we are the body. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. So he makes it very clear again that, that salvation is through what? Grace by faith. By grace you have been saved through faith. What does that mean? It means that the work of God, the free work and the free gift of God, which is grace, is what has been given to us for our salvation. In order for me to receive this gift, I have to have faith. I Meaning I have to believe that this is offered to me. I have to believe that God is real. I have to believe that God uh, did all this work for me. I have to believe in the incarnation and the resurrection. I have to believe in all these things so that I can benefit from the grace. Right? The grace that God is offering to me is offered to me and I receive it through faith. And this faith, right? And so some people misunderstand this verse okay because it says what it is the gift of god not of works lest anyone should boast some people might come and say well see look there is no concept of works at all in christianity works is a hundred percent irrelevant in christianity it doesn't matter what kind of works we do because god is saying here that it is grace meaning the work of god not our work and that is through faith meaning we believe in him and we believe in this grace he is offering to us and has nothing to do with works lest anyone should boast okay but look at the very next verse he says for we are his workmanship created in christ jesus for good works so what is the relationship between faith and works then if he's saying that we are saved through faith then what is the purpose of works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them, right? The question here is, what does St. Paul mean by the word faith? And what does he mean by the word works, okay? The word works here, 
He is referring to which work? He's referring to the works of the law, right? He's referring to the works of the Old Testament law. He's referring to the people who believe that salvation was through circumcision, that salvation was through fasting, that salvation was through offering sacrifices, that salvation was offered through those things, right? He's saying, no, it is a free gift. You cannot earn it for yourself, okay? It is, it is, it is through faith. But what is faith? Faith and good works cannot be separated from one another. Because if I really have faith, then my faith will be reflected in my good works. I don't say that I have faith, but then I live a life that's characteristics of someone with no faith. You know, like I live according to what I proclaim. So if I say that I believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, then my actions will reflect that and that I will worship him. You know, if I, if I say that I believe that God has called us to live a certain life, let's say, forgive, forgive my enemies. Well, then I will live a life characteristic of forgiving my enemies. Yeah, maybe I will not always be successful. Maybe I will struggle to do what is right, but I will struggle, right? I will struggle to forgive. I will struggle to remain pure. I will struggle. And when I, when I fail, I will repent. All these are the, the, the commandments of Christ. These are all the things that Christ called us for. He called us to live, live a life of repentance. And he said that he will forgive us our sins, right? So, so the, the, the concept of faith is not just a idea, right? It's not just a thought. Yes, I believe in this kind of very abstract way. No, I believe and thus I will live. I will live in a, in a way that is reflecting that belief, right? That is the kind of faith that is receiving the grace of God, okay? So that is the relationship between faith and works. Therefore, remember that you, once Gentiles in the flesh, remember he's talking to Gentiles, right? Therefore, remember that you, once Gentiles in the flesh, who are called uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision made by the f made in the flesh by hands. Let me read it again. Therefore remember that you, once Gentiles in the flesh, who are called uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision made in the flesh by hands, that at the time you were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. So he's, he's referring to the status of the Gentiles before Christ. And he's saying that they were called the uncircumcision because they are uncircumcised. In the mind of a Jewish person, only the circumcised, the Jews, are the people of God. Right, the Jewish people, according to the Old Testament understanding, right. So the the, the Gentiles were the uncircumcision, because they had not received the the circumcision made in the flesh, right, the physical circumcision. So they were called the uncircumcision, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel. They were not among the people of Israel, strangers from the covenants of promise, meaning all of the covenants that God had given to Abraham and all the people were for the Jews. They were not for the Gentiles, having no hope and without God in the world. There was no salvation for them. There was no plan of salvation. The Jews were not aware of the plan of salvation that God had for the Gentiles. Everything was focusing on the Jews and um, only the Jews. But now, in Christ Jesus, again, like the number of times he says, in him, in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Right? So even though you were the uncircumcision and you were uncircumcised in the flesh, but you have become spiritually circumcised because circumcision was a symbol of baptism. 
So having now received the Christian baptism, you have become spiritually circumcised. And even though you were aliens, you were not a part of Israel, and, 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 but now you are a part of the church. The church is the New Testament Israel. Israel in the Old Testament, to be among Israel, you had to be circumcised. To be among the church, you have to be baptized. So whether your origin is Jewish origin or Gentile origin, you'd have salvation in the church through baptism. And you have now come near by the blood of Christ. This is the grace. This is the gift. This is what God has done. That The act of Christ for salvation that he has done, which he's offered us as a free gift, which we do not deserve, nor have we done anything to earn. By the blood of Christ, we have been brought near. This is the grace of God. For us to make use of this gift, to receive this gift, we have to have faith in him, and that faith is both belief and action. For he himself is our peace, who has made both one and has broken down the middle wall of separation, having abolished in his flesh the enmity, that is the law of commandments contained in ordinances, so as to create in himself one new man from the two, thus making peace, and that he might reconcile them both to God in one body through the cross, thereby putting to death the enmity. So what is he talking about? Okay, Through the sacrifice of Christ, we have become reconciled to God the Father. He abolished the requirements of the law, right? This, this middle wall, this separation between us and God has been abolished. All the requirements of the law, when he's saying here the law is the Old Testament law, okay, has been abolished because salvation is not through sacrifices, it's not through circumcision, but it is through what Christ himself offered, offering his blood on our behalf. So this wall of separation that kept us away from God was removed, and he has united us with him, as one and he has united the Jews and Gentiles as one right because the Jews and the Gentiles are now no longer two separate peoples just like in the church we don't categorize people according to their ethnicity we don't categorize people according to how they used to live before they became Christians we say we are all one in the body right we are all children of God we are one He united us together as one as the body and united us to him connected the body with the head he is the head we are um, the body okay. so so he 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 accomplished this thus making peace and that he might reconcile them both to God in one body through the cross thereby putting to death the enmity and he came and preached peace to you who are afar off and to those who were near. For through him, we both have access by one spirit to the Father. So he came to those who were near. Who is it that was near? Who, who were those that were near to begin with? The Jews were near because it was to them that God sent the prophets to them it was God who gave the commandments, to them who God gave the covenants, right? They were the ones who were near, right? And he says what he came and preached peace to them, he also came to those who were afar off. The afar off is the Gentiles, right? He came to those who were near and to those who were far off, and so that we both would have access by one spirit to the Father. Now, therefore, you are no longer strangers and foreigners, because in the Old Testament, the Gentiles were strangers and foreigners. 
but fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone, in whom the whole building being fitted together grows into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom you also are being built together for a dwelling place of God and the Spirit. So we are like a spiritual house, built together, united together in the Spirit, with Christ being the chief cornerstone, and that the Gentiles are no longer strangers and foreigners, but they are now fellow citizens with no differentiation, no distinctions whatsoever between Gentile or Jew. St. John Chrysostom comments on this. He says, what is the purpose of this building? The purpose is that God may dwell in that temple. Each one of you is a temple, and all of you together make a temple. God dwells in you, being the body of Christ and a spiritual temple. He did not use the word that implies that we went to God, but rather that God himself brings us to himself. We did not go to him by ourselves, but he himself brought us close to him. The Lord Jesus said, No one comes to the Father except through me. Also I am the way, the truth, and the life. So the church is built on Christ, and all of the people who served God throughout all the generations. He says, having built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone, meaning this building was being constructed. The building of the church, the spiritual church, was being constructed even from the very beginning, from the, in the Old Testament, from the prophets, and being built on that by the apostles, with Jesus Christ being the chief cornerstone of the entire building, right? fitted together, grows into a holy temple of God in whom you also are being built together for a dwelling place of God and the Spirit. So it's a very beautiful uh, like image of the church with Christ being present among us, no distinction between the members, and we are all called to the same holiness that we receive salvation by the grace of God through faith for good works, um, all of us together. Any questions or comments before we conclude? I know it's like deeply theological. Do you understand or are we lost? Yes? <laughs> okay. And glory be to God forever. Amen. Let's pray. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, amen. We thank you, O Lord, for this day. We ask for your blessing. We ask, O God, for us to always be attunely aware of the sacrifice that you made on our behalf, and how much, O Lord, that by your grace you have offered us salvation. We ask, O God, that you give us the strength of mind and the will for us to receive this free gift that you have given us, and to live with it, and to walk with it, and to seek, O Lord, from you forgiveness of sins and a life of repentance whenever we fall. Thank you, O Lord, for your mercy upon us. Teach us your ways, O God, and let the doors of the church always be open to us so that we could come and to find you, O Lord, and to seek from you all, all that we need for our life and the eternal life. Through the prayers of St. Mary, Archangel Michael, St. Paul, St. Mark, and all your saints, hear us as we pray thankfully. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not to temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. In Christ Jesus our Lord, for thine is the kingdom, power, and the glory forever and ever. Amen. The love of God the Father, the grace of the only begotten Son, our Lord God and Savior Jesus Christ, the communion, the gift of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Go in peace. The peace of the Lord be with you all. Amen. And also with your spirit. <laughs>